And turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to look at the end of Matthew 14 and the healing that Jesus performs. We're continuing our way through the gospel of Matthew. And as you make your way there to Matthew 14 verse 34, let me pray for our time together. Father, we thank you for... Having lifted our hearts and worshiped God, now we seek to hear from you and from your word. Lord, help me to say what it is that your word says so that your people won't hear me, they'll hear you. And Lord, we know, as my brother said, your word does not return void. So Holy Spirit, set, help us to, to set aside the things that might be clamoring for attention, but even Probably more than that, those things that are clamoring for attention are things that we need to lay at your feet. Not just to, to push them out of, to the periphery and, and ignore them, but we need to take them and, and place them at your feet. So, Lord, this time is yours. We give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's no secret that one career field that is at the top of every list of career fields to go into for job sustainability and longevity is the medical field, the, the health professional field. Many people pursue that field because there's job security in it, and we would all acknowledge that. And I know we have a few uh, medical professionals in our body today. Thank you for, for all that you do and, and how you help people, you bless people, you, you do so much. But I have bad news for you. You went into the wrong career field. <laughs> Who said true? True. You went into the wrong career field, and I, I want you to understand what I mean by that, okay? The medical profession is not a secure field to go into because... You will not have that position forever. There is coming a day when sickness, death, injury, pain, all of that will be a distant memory. All of it will be no more. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you medical professionals, I want you to know this. When you die and go to heaven, you will arrive unemployed. We still need you till then, of course. We know that you're very needed and you're appreciated. Even sometimes uh, you're not appreciated as much as you should be. But we appreciate you. I appreciate you. But there is coming a day when all of those will be a thing of the past. And we get a glimpse of what that looks like in our text this morning. When we look at Matthew chapter 14... Verses 34 through 36, we see an encounter of Jesus, and he is among a people who are sick. And as we look at the story, there's one big takeaway I want you to see this morning. And that, that takeaway, that main idea is this. I hope you remember, and we're going to unpack this as we go, but it's this. Jesus is the great deliverer because he is God coming to save his people. Through power and grace. Let me say that again. Jesus is the great deliverer. Because he is God coming to save his people. Through power 
and grace. So before we read the verses, let's remember the context here, okay? We just saw the last time we were in Matthew, in verse 32, Jesus has walked on the water. He has calmed the storm afterwards. And then in verse 33, it says that those who were in the boat worshipped him. They worshipped him and they said, truly you are the Son of God. So we, in the context, not only is Jesus the Son of God, but he's worshipped as God. This is... This is a a claim that's being made by Matthew that they recognized there was something different about Jesus. And and as Jews, you don't worship anybody but the one true God. And they worship Jesus saying he is the son of God. But when we say he's the son of God, that doesn't mean he's lesser or subordinate to. He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And he displays the power of God over creation, over the chaos, over the, the, the... the storm that, that he himself had control over. But then we also talked about last time the great grace he shows us when we fail. You remember that? God's power, God's grace. And, and when we talk about the storm, I, I feel like we, we get that, right? Like we get that God focuses on big things like storm calming, right? Like, walking on water is a big deal. That's a God-sized thing. That's, we're like, well, yeah, of course God could walk on the water. He's God. If he wants to walk on the water, he can walk on the water. So this, this exercising, you know, sovereignty over the cosmos, that's God-sized stuff. But when we look in our text this morning, it continues to teach us about this Jesus. And he is God with us. And what does that mean? Is as powerful and as as glorious as Jesus is, as the second person of the Trinity, as God, he is so cosmically and amazingly bigger than and greater than we could ever wrap our minds around. But he also cares. He cares. Let's look at verse 34. It says, when they had crossed over, they're still in the boat, they cross over. And it says, when they came to the shore at Gennesaret, They were there, and it says, verse 35, when the men of that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. In verse 36, they begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe, and as many as touched it were healed. So in verses 34 and 35, Jesus arrives on the other side of the sea. He is recognized and people are alerted. The word starts to spread. That, that healer guy is here. You, you know, the guy you heard about, the guy you've seen that, that you've heard about, he, he's here, that, the guy that heals people. And so word starts traveling fast. They, they start getting uh, all the people. I don't know if you know this, but word travels fast. You know the only thing that can travel faster than anything else? You know what travels faster than the speed of light? Gossip. Well, actually, no, it's, it's not even gossip. What spreads faster than gossip is prayer requests disguised as gossip, right? Because <laughs> then you've got that, that holy motive. You know what I'm talking about. Some of, some of you act like I don't know what I'm talking about. You know. Yep. So the text tells us that they brought everybody. They alerted the whole vicinity, right? You think about uh, um, that... I'm drawing a blank. What's his name? Uh, you know, the British are coming. The British are coming. Right. Paul, Revere. Paul Revere. That was just a test for my son if he was paying attention in school. 
And he got it right. Paul Revere, you know, the British, Jesus is here. That Jesus guy is here. So they're going around alerting the, the vicinity. And then it says that because they saw that he was there, they brought to him all who were sick. Now, in order to understand what Matthew's doing here, I feel like we have to do a little bit of digging because Matthew is writing, I don't know if you remember this, but Matthew is writing most likely to Christians who were formerly Jews. They were Jews, but they had become Christians, and they knew the scriptures. And there are three passages of scripture I think you need to note, make a note of, in order to really understand what's going on here. And we're going to look at each one of these as we go. But the first one I want you to note, you write this down, Ezekiel 34, verse 4. Ezekiel 34, verse 4. Now, of course, you know, you, you know this, Ezekiel 34 is that beautiful chapter in Ezekiel when the Lord confronts the shepherds of Israel and he chastises them. He criticizes and he says, you have not been faithful shepherds. They've been greedy shepherds, disobedient shepherds. Listen to verses 1 through 3. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. So that's the charge. That's the tone. But then when we get to verse 4... What does the Lord say? You have not strengthened the weak. And then listen. Healed the sick. Bandaged the injured. Brought back the strays or sought the lost. That phrase, healed the sick. Why do we want to note that? Well, you have to understand that in Matthew's gospel, which was written in Greek, he uses a phrase that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament only in this passage. So by Matthew using the language he does, he points us back to Ezekiel and say, that shepherd that heals the sick in Ezekiel 34 that God says is going to come, he's here now. He has come to deliver his sheep. So Matthew uses this language and the Lord's response to the people in Ezekiel is what? He's going to send a shepherd. If you look down a little bit ways to verses 10 and 11, the Lord says, look, I am against the shepherds. Then look at verse 11. This is what the Lord says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. So he says he's going to send a shepherd. But then God also says he himself will seek his flock. He will be the shepherd. God himself will seek his sheep. So Jesus is being portrayed in Matthew in our text this morning as this great messianic shepherd who is coming. He is described as the shepherd deliverer. And not only this, but if you go down a few more verses in verses 23 and 24... The Lord says in Ezekiel 34, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend to them himself. Look at verse 24. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. So not only is Jesus this messianic shepherd, but he's the messianic son of David, shepherd deliverer. So Matthew is piling up all these ideas on who Jesus 
is. Jesus is not just the son of David. He's, he's not just a Davidic Messiah. He's a divine Messiah. He is God in the flesh coming to deliver his people. And we find all of these being fulfilled in Jesus. If you go back to Matthew chapter 14, we see that Matthew says, what does he say in verse 36? If you go back there. He says in verse 36, they begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe. So the first reference was Ezekiel 34, where Jesus is this divine Davidic Messiah. When it says that they wanted to grab his robe, write down this reference, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, not Ezekiel, Zechariah 8.23. Zechariah 8.23. If you look at Zechariah 8.23, it's the end of the chapter. It says, the Lord of armies says this. In those days, now stop right there. That, that phrase, in those days, that's a reference to the end of time, the, the, the day of the Lord, the, the, the latter days. In those days, it says, 10 men from nations of every language will, what, grab the robe of a Jewish man tightly, urging, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So here Matthew's using this language of, in, in Zechariah, it's eight. In Zechariah eight, it's these ten men who are, are clinging. But here, Jesus fulfills this over and abundantly. It's not just ten men; it's a whole crowd. It's a whole neighborhood. It's a whole town. So Jesus is not only the divine Davidic shepherd deliverer of Ezekiel thirty-four. He's also this this man that the nations are going to come and, and seek to grab onto him. Why? Because they've heard that God is with him. The Lord of armies says this, that they have heard that God is with you. Now, here's, here's where I think we have to be honest. I don't think many people would have argued that God was with Jesus. I don't think that statement in and of itself, both in that time and in our time, is a statement that really upsets many people. The idea that... that Lord, the Lord is with Jesus, that, that God uses Jesus, that, that Jesus had a power that was, that was coming you know, through him. I, I think people would have said, yeah, that's, I can get on board with that statement. He's, God's obviously doing something. I don't think many people falter on that point. It's one thing to say God is with you to Jesus. I think it's another thing to look at Jesus and say, this is God with us. There's a difference. So not only is Jesus this, this figure from Zechariah 8 that God is with him, but he is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So here is, here is God in the flesh, this, this deliverer. And then we get to verse 36, and it says they only wanted to touch his robe, the end of his robe, right? Now, before, before we dive into that, notice it says, and all who touched it were healed. Let's not miss the fact that people were healed by Jesus. 
Jesus is still the one, he's still the one healing. It's not like the, the garment is, the, is what had the power, right? It's Jesus healing the people. And he didn't have to do it, but the text says they were healed. That's how you know that the language here, if you pay close attention, it's not that they did something, something happened to them. So yes, they reached out to grab the garment, but the garment is not what healed them. And it wasn't the grabbing that healed them. It was what came from Jesus, the healing. They were healed. And so here, when we see this, we see the power and the grace. We see the power and the grace of this great deliverer. But there's one detail I don't want us to neglect. This End of the robe. What's that all about? Why does Matthew tell us that they wanted to reach, the, reach for the end of his robe? The, the part of clothing that's referenced here was a part of Jewish clothing that was prescribed in the law. Jews were told in the law to wear this type of garment. So write down this reference. Numbers 15 verses 37 through 41. Numbers 15, verses 37 through 41. And this passage describes the clothing that we see in Matthew. Listen to what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them that throughout their generations they are to make tassels for the corners of their garments and put a blue cord on the tassel at each corner. These will serve as tassels for you to look at so that you may remember all the Lord's commands and obey them and not prostitute yourselves by following your own heart and your own eyes. Verse 40. This way you will remember and obey all my commands and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So when we listen to verse 39, it talks about the tassels that, that serve as reminders. They serve as motivators for obedience. In verse 40, it says, so that you'll remember and obey. Remember what? Verse 41, I am the Lord your God. It says it twice, right? In verse 41, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And at the end, I am the Lord your God. So these tassels are meant to point us to the Lord. They are to point the, the eyes of the heart and the mind for the Jews of, of God being a great deliverer from Egypt. And that's what the people are grasping. That's what they're reaching for. So in Matthew, the people are grabbing the tassel that declares, I am the Lord. They're literally trying to, maybe not literally, maybe not literally, literally. But if we use the word literally, non-literally, they're literally grabbing onto to Jesus being the Lord. In one sense, they're proclaiming the divinity of Christ without even realizing it. It's a bit humorous and ironic. I don't know if Matthew includes this to be funny, but the fact that these people who, who may not have recognized the divinity of Jesus grabbing this tassel of his that, that declares, I am the Lord... 
But not only that, but now Jesus' work here is connected to these tassels that commemorate God's deliverance out of Egypt. So now, not only do we have Ezekiel 34, this divine Davidic shepherd deliverer, but we also have Zechariah, this man who the nations are going to cling to because God is with him. But then now in Numbers, it's, I am the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt. So we have all this language, these, this imagery being piled up for Jesus now, don't ever say Matthew's not a clever writer. And it also would probably be good for us to remember that the, the Gospels, although they are historical, they're not purely history. This is not a diary. This isn't, you know, today Jesus crossed the sea and, you know, we had fish for breakfast. and Right? There's an artistry here, but, but Jesus is the deliverer. He's like Moses, but a greater Moses Greater than Moses. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. So, so Matthew's saying, here is the Lord coming to deliver his people. And he's doing it through power and grace. That's our main idea this morning, isn't it? Jesus is the great deliverer because he is God coming to save his people through power and grace. Now, the power part is quite obvious, isn't it? The account before this, Jesus is walking on water. We get the power. Right? God, by any definition, ought to be able to do those kinds of things. Right? We, we have no trouble in believing in a powerful God. I think, if we're honest, we struggle much more in believing that God is a gracious God. And I just want to point out something. That, that occurred to me as I studied. We, we struggle with believing that God is a gracious God. And, and there's a number of things that we could say here. But there's two things I want to point out. Just on this, this notion of power. What you see when you read the Gospels. And you read about the life of Jesus. Is how perfect he is. How all, all perfection is perfect in him. For example... With Jesus, power does not corrupt his goodness. Jesus holds all power. And how many times have we seen in the world when somebody gets so much power, they're not concerned with the little people. They don't care about other people's struggles. They are in a society, in a class, and in a, a group all by themselves. And that power corrupts them, corrupts any idea of, of charity, of love, of goodness that they might demonstrate. But not with Jesus. He is completely powerful and still completely good. But not only that, the power that he has does not lead to pride or sin. He does not misuse that power. He does not abuse that power. He does not use that power to abuse. Jesus is both powerful and gentle. Powerful and caring in him the perfection of balance between power and grace power and care have a perfect unity just think about this he could have power but not care he could be the god of the deist who who creates the world and then sits back on his rocking chair and watches it all and not care but he he, he could be that god or he could be a god who has no power, but he cares a lot, in which case there's nothing he can do about anything you need help with. 
But neither one of those is true with Jesus, is it? He controls the cosmos. And he also cares if you have a cold. Think about that. He put the stars in the universe where they are and knows each one of them by name. But he also cares about what makes you weep. He cares about your physical ailments. He cares about the little thing that makes your day-to-day life more difficult than other people's day-to-day life. So there's the power, but then there's the grace that even though God is all-powerful, that He is He is transcendent. He is far and above and greater than anything we could ever imagine. But He is also imminent. He is close and He cares. So there's a grace here, but, but let's, let's be realistic about the grace that we're seeing here. It's not just the grace about sickness. I think there's a deeper grace at play here, a deeper grace on display. It is instructive for us in this case in Matthew 14 because it points us to a deeper grace that Jesus shows us, that God shows us. When you look in Matthew 14, it says that he healed them, correct? That he healed them, but Jesus heals their sickness. But this grace that he shows us doesn't just point us that he cares about the sickness. There's a deeper grace. Why? Because there's a deeper problem. Jesus did not just come to do away with sickness. He did not just come to do away with the physical ailments of this world. There's a greater problem than sickness, and that problem is sin. So the grace that Jesus displays towards our sickness points us to the grace and the power that he's going to exercise in dealing with sin. So there's a greater threat. There's a more, we talk about him being a deliverer. There's a greater slave master that's over us than than sickness. It's, It's slavery to sin. It's being in prison under the sentence of death because of our sin. What does Paul say in Romans 6.23? For the wages, the fair payment for sin is what? Sickness? No. What? Death. Sin is our greatest need. Lostness, being separated from God because of our sin is our greatest need. And what we see is true of sickness is also true. Of sin. Jesus, yes, in our sickness is the great deliverer coming to save us through power and grace, but he's also a great deliverer come to save us from sin through power and grace. We sin. What does that mean? We disobey, we rebel against God, we do what he says not to do, and we don't do what he says to do. And because of that, we deserve death. We deserve God's righteous, perfect punishment. We're sinners. And that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost, to deliver us. He came to defeat sin. He came to defeat death, to defeat hell, to defeat the power of the grave. How does he do that? Well, number one, he comes and he lives a perfect life. He never sins. Jesus keeps God's law and lives God's way perfectly. 
And he doesn't need a sacrifice. He doesn't need a substitute. And so as a perfect substitute for us, he goes to a cross. He takes the, the punishment for our sins. God's wrath, his, his righteous, good, right anger towards wickedness, our wickedness is poured out on Jesus. And Jesus is judged in our place. He's buried. And then three days later, he rises again. That's God delivering in power. So what have we said? God is the great shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He is God coming to save his people through power and grace. So here's the thing. Jesus has done all of this. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ redeemed sinners. He saved his people. So where's the grace? Well, number one, we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. But here's the grace. It's offered freely to us. It's offered freely to us. We are simply asked to believe. And I think in our text, we get a beautiful picture of what this means. It says they begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe. What did the robe represent? We said that it was to point to the remembrance, but also to obedience. So what we hear the good news of the gospel, what are we to do? We do what these people did. We cling to Christ's obedience. You say, how could God save someone like me? Because Christ was perfectly obedient. How could God look at me and be gracious towards me? Because Christ was perfectly obedient. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times, all it feels like I can do to wrap my mind around who Jesus is, is I can't even get my... I can't even get my hands around all that he is. All that I can do is get my hands around the tassel that Christ was perfect and died for me. Maybe that's where you are this morning. The week you've had, you wonder, how in the world could God love somebody like me? And you can't get your mind around it. What I want you to do is just grab on to the tassel of Christ's obedience he obeyed perfectly such that if that's all you can get your hands around notice a little bit of Christ's obedience is enough to heal they didn't even touch Jesus just a little bit of, of faith placed in Jesus Christ is enough to save however weak your faith is this morning, if you take that weak faith 
and you grab at the tassel of Christ's obedience, that's enough. That's enough. You might be wondering why. Why emphasize this? Well, there might be two reasons why you've never done this. Or it might be why you haven't done it recently. Number one, maybe you've never done this. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never rested in the gospel because you felt like you didn't need Jesus. You weren't that bad. Your life was not that wicked. You haven't committed serious crimes or whatever. Listen, it doesn't matter. The Bible says we have all sinned. Romans 3.23 We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. You cannot meet His standard. But you want to know why you haven't done that? Because there's a posture that you have to take. These tassels were not on Jesus' shoulders. The tassels were hanging down here, right? They would go around the shoulder and they'd be hanging right here. So you know what you have to do to get to them? Well, number one, you might have to bend the knee a little bit. And if you really want to get there, you might have to get on your belly and crawl just to grab it. The real reason you've never done that is because you've either too prideful or you don't realize just how desperate you are. I hope that you see that you are way, 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 way worse than you could possibly imagine in your situation being a sinner separated from God. What is for you to do is to trust Christ's work on the cross for you. You say, you, you say, what do I do? Nothing. That's the point. Christ has done it all. What's asked of you is to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, that He was buried and rose again. And trust that what Jesus did was enough to save you. And if you do that, you're forgiven of your sins. You're cleansed. You're made a new creation. And you are healed. Now you say, Jason, I've been a Christian for 30 some years and I've got something I've never healed. You're healed, just not yet. Think about that. Saints, every single ailment you have will one day be healed. It's the same thing in Ephesians. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were sinners, separated, right? We were dead in our sins, but we were made alive, verse 4. But God, being rich in His mercy, made us alive with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ, right? Paul has this framework where he can, I can look at you right now as a Christian and say, you are seated with Christ. That same understanding allows me to say, you are healed. That day is coming. And it's because Christ purchased it for us. But maybe you haven't grabbed the tassel. Maybe you haven't rested in it in a while. You're, you're a believer. You would say, I do trust Christ as my Savior. But, but maybe it's been a while. Maybe you think 
that you have to make yourself worthy to grab the tassel. But friend, that's, that's the opposite of what the message is, right? Verse 36, they begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe. Understand this, if Jesus did not want them to touch him, they would not have. So the fact that you've come before, Jesus knew all, all your faults, all your sins. He knew all the stupid things you were going to do. And He loved you and He called you and He let you grab onto His tassels. So, maybe you need to do that again today. We're going to take the Lord's Supper and this is a chance for you to remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. And this is an opportunity for you to receive Christ and all His benefits through the supper. That, that He says, this is my body which is given for you. So when we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, this is an opportunity for you to, to examine yourself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that verse 28, let a person examine himself, right? So this is an opportunity for you to say, am I trusting in what Jesus has done for me? Am I resting in it? Where, where, am, I, where am I seeking to heal myself, to fix my own situation? Where am I seeking to do what only God can do? And then you need to confess that. You need to repent and trust in Christ's perfect obedience. So this is a chance as we take the Lord's Supper. This is a chance for you, believer. This is a chance for you, Christian, to once again reach and cling to the perfect life of Christ as your hope. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few moments and you examine yourself and you respond to however the Holy Spirit leads you. What is it that you need to confess? What, is it, what business do you need to do with the Lord? And then when you're ready, I'll ask you to do something. When you're ready, just hold for a second. Because there might be a, a brother or a sister sitting next to you who's not ready yet. And, and by you getting up, they'll feel a sense of, of pressure or uh, you know, uh, that, that they need to hurry up. So maybe just take a minute or two after you know that you're ready. But then whenever you're ready, come, take the elements back to your seat, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. I'll be down here at the front if you'd like somebody to pray with you. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down here as well. But let's take a moment and you respond as the Lord leads.